Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. One from me and one from former host Tracy V. Wilson. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's December 2nd. The Monroe Doctrine was issued on this day in 1823. That makes it sound like somebody published a document that said the Monroe Doctrine up at the top, and it was a published piece of writing. Really, it was that President James Monroe gave his annual address to Congress. And in that address, he described some foreign policy decisions, and that came to be called the Monroe Doctrine. These Policy decisions were also heavily influenced by Secretary of State John Quincy Adams, who advocated not only for what these policies said, but also for them to exist at all. This whole thing grew out of Europe's colonization of the Americas, which is where the United States came from. A lot of these American colonies had then become independent from Europe. So the United States was independent from Britain. A whole collection of Latin American colonies had become independent from Spain in the years leading up to this. France had sold a lot of its North American territory to the United States and so on. At the time, the Russian Empire still controlled what's now Alaska, and there were worries that Russia would try to take over more territory outside what it already controlled. So the United States was concerned, concerned about Russia, concerned about European nations recolonizing the Americas. Britain actually had a lot of the same worries as the United States did about Russia, Spain, and France. And initially, Britain had proposed that Britain and the United States issue a joint statement. And that's one of the ways that John Quincy Adams played a part in all of this. He thought that a joint statement would make the United States look like a hanger-on, with Great Britain being the one doing all the work and making all the decisions, and the United States just going along with whatever it was. So in this address before Congress, James Monroe articulated three main ideas. The first was that the world had two spheres of influence. The Americas were their own sphere outside of the European sphere of influence. The Americas were also not up for further colonization by European powers, and the United States would not interfere in the internal matters of other nations, including maintaining neutrality when it came to wars in Europe. The Monroe Doctrine did not, though, include anything to deter the United States' westward expansion through North America. When Monroe made this speech, though, the United States didn't really have the military might to enforce what the Monroe Doctrine was saying. And while other nations didn't really try to test it, the response from some of the world's other leaders was somewhere between dismissive and annoyed because the United States was basically saying, you're not welcome here, without actually having the means to keep other people out. The points articulated in this address became known as the Monroe Doctrine by the 1850s, and they continued to influence American foreign policy for decades after that. 
President Theodore Roosevelt further built on the Monroe Doctrine in his annual messages to Congress in 1904 and 1905, saying that it wasn't just that the Americas were not open to colonization by Europe, but that also the United States had a responsibility to defend those nations of the Western Hemisphere. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on today's show and to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a trial that some places describe as political, but others describe as criminal. Depends on who you ask. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast for people interested in the big and small moments in history. The day was December 2nd, 1984. Late at night, a gas leak accident at the Union Carbide Pesticide Plant in Bhopal, India, caused what was considered the worst industrial disaster in history. The Union Carbide plant at Bhopal was built for the manufacture of Seven, S-E-V-I-N, a commonly used pesticide. In 1984, the plant was manufacturing Seven at a reduced production capacity because demand for pesticides was low. The plant was slated to be shut down in 1984, but until then, it continued to operate with safety equipment and procedures that were below standard. Around 11 p.m. on December 2nd, a couple of employees at the plant noticed the pressure increasing inside a storage tank, but they didn't think much of it. The instruments often malfunctioned, so they assumed the readings were inaccurate. But soon, workers found a leak of methyl isocyanate and began to feel its effects. Methyl isocyanate is a highly flammable liquid used in the production of pesticides that evaporates quickly when exposed to air. It's highly toxic to humans with short-term exposure. They reported the leak to a methyl isocyanate supervisor, but he said that he would address the issue after tea. Nobody looked into the leak until about 12.40 a.m. on December 3rd. By that point, the pressure and temperature in the tank had increased to dangerous levels, and a number of safety measures were out of commission. The vent gas scrubber that was designed to neutralize toxic discharge from the system was deactivated, A faulty valve allowed water to enter the tank and mix with methyl isocyanate. And a refrigeration unit that cooled storage tanks containing methyl isocyanate had been disconnected. Among other safety issues, the Bhopal plant did not have a computer system to monitor operations and alert staff to leaks like other operations did. Management relied on worker senses and physical reactions to determine that there was a methyl isocyanate leak. Around 1 a.m., a safety valve gave out and set a plume of methyl isocyanate gas into the air. The gas spread through the air across the city of Bhopal. In 1984, around 800,000 people lived in Bhopal. The plant was very close to the Bhopal railway station and close to two large hospitals. It was surrounded by densely populated towns. People woke up to symptoms of exposure like coughing, stomach pain, vomiting, and eye irritation. Pulmonary edema was the cause of death in many cases. People also died from choking. There is no antidote for methyl isocyanate, 
but sodium thiosulfate was given to people in the mistaken belief that hydrogen cyanide was poisoning people. The exact number of deaths in the immediate aftermath of the disaster is hard to pin down, but it was likely somewhere between 2,500 and 8,000 deaths, and an estimate of 15,000 people died over the years. Many people developed permanent disabilities and chronic respiratory conditions. Short-term and long-term effects of exposure included anorexia, impaired memory and reasoning, increased chromosomal abnormalities, decreased lung function, and increased pregnancy loss and infant mortality. Hundreds of thousands of people were injured by exposure to methyl isocyanate. Investigations after the disaster also found that staff at the plant had been cut, tank alarms were not functioning, and operators had limited knowledge of equipment in the plant. In tank E610, the one that leaked, held 42 tons of methyl isocyanate, which was above the recommended capacity. Union Carbide agreed to a settlement of $470 million, but little money was given to the victims of the disaster. Union Carbide maintained that the disaster was the result of an act of sabotage. The company shut down operations at the plant after the disaster, but chemicals that were dumped at the plant have leaked into and contaminated local water supplies. The water is still affected by contamination today. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any insight on an accent or a pronunciation spoken in the show today, feel free to send us a kind note on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Our email address is thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.